our old associate pastor, um, Dan Gammy, who him and his family moved to, to Colorado Springs um, several years ago. We, um, we were blessed by him because he would frequently have interesting stories. He was a forensic scientist for the Orange County Sheriff's Department. And, uh, and with that comes interesting stories. Um, he now heads up that program in Colorado Springs for their, for their sheriff's department. But he was on cold case. And, uh, and so we got to watch him on, on cold case. And it, it dealt with this, this woman by the name of, of Kiva Bible. It was her last name. And uh, she was a prostitute. And she got murdered in 1986. Dan had worked on that case and um, had done all kinds of investigations to try to find out who the murderer was, but, but they couldn't find him. Um, they questioned some people and, and that they thought were possibilities, but there was not enough evidence to convict anybody at all or to charge anybody. But he found an, an eyelash on her sock and... Uh, and years later, 15 years later, they did some research on that, that eyelash. And the DNA found that, that it was a man by the, by the name of James Sukniak that had been there at the, the scene and said that he was not. And so with that evidence of that eyelash, they, they found this man, and he was back east in over the last 15 years, he had served a little bit of time in, in prison for some crimes that he had committed and turned things around, um, started a family, had a good job, uh, he's married and, and, and doing well. And they, they, they went and they, they found him, and all they had on him was an eyelash um, that had fallen on her sock. But they went and, and talked to him, and they said, James, we, we reopened this case and your DNA, the evidence. We know you did it. And Dan said that the guy's head just dropped. And he said, I knew this would catch up with me someday. He had a confession. Had he said, I don't know what you're talking about, he probably would never have been convicted. But he was convicted for murder. And he had that over his head for all those years. I, I knew that this would come back to me someday. We look and we see that we serve a God who knows all things. Um, the psalmist says, oh Lord, you've searched me and you've known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thoughts afar off. You Comprehend my path and my lying down. You're acquainted with all my ways, for there's not a word on my tongue, but behold, O oh Lord, you know it all together. And he does. He knows everything about us. The eyelashes, the sitting down, the rising up, even your thoughts when they still were, were far away. You hear the psalmist in Psalm 130 say, if, if you, Lord, should mark iniquities... Oh, Lord, who could stand? If, if, you, if you would mark iniquities, who, who could ever stand before you? What can we do 
mean, if, 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 we're, if we're covered in our sin, and it may not be murder, but a host of other sins that every one of us commit when God tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and that there's none righteous, no, not one. I mean, Scripture makes it so clear that we're all sinners. Who, who could ever stand? Micah says here in, in chapter 6, verse 6, I'll just read it for you real quick. It says, With what shall I come before the Lord? Bow myself before the high God. Shall I come before him with burnt offerings? With calves, with, with, with calves a, a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams? 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression? The fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? What could I do? Is there anything that I could do? I mean, if I gave him 10,000 rivers of oil or thousands of rams, could I give him this? Could I, what if I gave him my firstborn? Would that be enough? And the answer over and over and over again in Scripture is no. When you, when you start to consider the holiness of God, the holiness of God that, that is so perfect, so righteous, so other than us, that we, we, we could never come before him in his presence because of the holiness of God. And when you take into consideration the justice of God, that attribute of him that demands the shedding of blood for the remission of sins, demands that, that his wrath would come upon sin. He's just and he's holy. It leaves us in a place of, I could give my firstborn and it's not enough. You hear Paul in Romans where he says, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Who could ever deliver me from this body of death? I'm a wretch. And and his response is, I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And that's what we'll look at this morning. We have been given incredible promises in these last several weeks of going through this section of Romans chapter 8. He He tells us things like all things work together for good to those who love him, to those who are the called. All things work together for good. He goes from there to tell us that that those that he predestined, he called. Those he called, he justified. And those he justified, he glorified. And and in response to that, he, he starts asking questions. The first one that he said is, what then shall we say to these things? I mean, if he, if he predestined us and he called us and he justified us, and we can be sure that he's going to glorify us, what, what do we say to these things? And, and the response that comes, if, if God is for us, who could be against us? What do we say to these things? If he's for us, who could be against us? If we start questioning how could all things work together for good, Paul just responds as the Holy Spirit inspires him by saying, you know that all things work together for good because if God's for you, who could be against you? And then he goes from there and he says, if, if, God, 
If he did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Then he comes to another question, and we'll look at the next two questions here this morning. The next question that comes up is, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Who who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Who could do it? He says from there, it is God who justifies. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Now you picture that guy. Head drops. And I knew, I knew this would catch up with me someday. I knew it. And you think of the charges that could come against us. You, you sit here in this room and like me, you, you know yourself, you know your sin. You know things that you've done. You know things that you've done that nobody else knows about. You know the thoughts that go through your, your mind. You, you know... Even when you got the job and you got the kids and you got the wife and things seemed like it's okay, like this guy back on the East Coast, you, you know that, that although things may look good to everybody on the outside, inside you're a sinner. And we, and we think of how our minds, they, our conscience, they, it, it accuses us. It accuses us. It, you sit there and you think, I don't know. I, if I'm not a Christian, what if I'm not going to heaven? What, what if I stand before him and he says, depart from me, I, I never knew you. I know what's in my heart. I know the, the wickedness that's there. And our conscience, our hearts, our minds, they accuse us. Satan accuses us. You look in, in Scripture, and in, in Revelation 12.10 says that he's the accuser of the brethren who accused them before our God day and night. He's the accuser of the brethren. He accuses us before God day and night. There could be those that, that look upon us and, and, and accuse us And yet, God in this passage says, who who shall bring a charge against God's elect? I mean, you take yourself, you take the enemy, you take the world, you take anything that could come against us. And God says, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Now this word justifies is something that I, I pray that this morning it, as we think about this and talk about this and study it, um, it will bring you to such a place of worship as it has to me this week. I, I love this. I, I would be okay talking about this every Sunday morning. It is God who justifies us. You see that to justify is 
what takes place when God pronounces us just. He changes our legal status to be that of being legally declared righteous. It's Christ who died, we're told. And he, as a result, has taken our sin and has legally declared us to be righteous. We were changed from being in a state of condemnation and guilt to a a legal status of forgiven, of being righteous, accepted into the everlasting family of God. It is a change, a radical change that has taken place in you, a positional change, a status change that has radically transformed you. We're made righteous by an imputed righteousness. These words are important. I, I don't say these words for any other reason than we need to understand words like justification, substitution, imputation. We need to understand these words because they will cause your heart to have so much joy in the Lord and to praise him. We look at this and and we see that he has imputed righteousness that is placed on your account so that We are forever declared righteous by the righteousness of Christ legally applied to us at the same time that he removes sin. We looked in scripture and it talked about it all throughout. Like in Jeremiah 23 in verse 6, he's referring to our Messiah saying, He will be called the Lord our righteousness. The Lord our righteousness. This is what he is going to be called. The Lord our righteousness, meaning that he is the Lord, he is our God, but he is also our righteousness. We don't have a righteousness that's of our own. It's a righteousness that has been imputed onto us. We look and we see Daniel predicted through prophecy that Christ would come become our righteousness. He says in Daniel 9.24 that he would finish the transgression to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, and to bring everlasting righteousness. But what a radical verse. I mean, you look at this and it just goes through. This is what the Messiah is going to do. He's going to finish transgression. He's going to make an end to sins. He's going to make reconciliation for iniquity. And he's going to bring in everlasting righteousness. Meaning that there is a change of status that takes place. You went from being a sinner to being without sin. You went from being in a place of having no righteousness of your own to having a righteousness imputed onto you that is not your own, but is the very righteousness of God, and it is an everlasting righteousness. We think of being forgiven. We're forgiven, and forgiveness is something that I praise God for forgiveness, and I look at it as he tells us that he'll forgive us 70 times 7. You could sin. You could sin today, and if First John 1 John 1.9, if you confess your sin, he'll be faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. We get forgiveness, but when we look at justification, justification is different than forgiveness. Justification isn't 70 times 7. Justification is once for all. It happened one time. A change of status that occurred to where your sin is forever permanently removed. You are no longer seen in the eyes of God as a sinner. The status has been changed because... Through faith in Christ, all of your sins are placed upon Christ on the cross. All of them. From that which would make your head go down saying, I knew, someday I knew somebody would find out about this. To to, to know that it's gone. 
And to know that every sin that everybody does know about is gone. Nailed to the cross, gone. Change of status. Not only are you forgiven, but there has been a change of status. You're justified to where your sin is totally, completely, for all eternity gone. And it's not just that your sin is gone. It has been replaced with righteousness. The very righteousness of God. The Lord, our righteousness. His righteousness. Christ fulfilling all of the law, fulfilling all righteousness, placed in our stead so that when you're there before God, God looks upon you and he sees you with a status change, a legal status change to where he sees you as, as if you're without guilt, as if you're without any sin, as if the, the perfect life in which Christ lived with being without any sin is actually yours because it has been placed on your account. Your sin has been totally completely removed as if you had done it yourself because Christ did it in your stead. Not only that, but, but he places all of his righteousness on you as if you have fulfilled all righteousness. It's a legal change that's taken place. It happened at one time in salvation to where there was a status change for you. This is something where if, if we understand this biblically, it will change the way that we think. I mean, there's so many Christians that are on such a performance treadmill where they're just, they're trying so hard. Have I done enough? Have I done enough? Have I done enough? We listened to, to Tony's testimony this, yesterday at the Men's Fellowship, and he talked about at his old church when he was younger as, 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 a, as a kid that, that he said the sinner's prayer probably over, over 50 times because it was, it was always dealing with, am I okay now? But the, the freedom that comes from a clear understanding of the revelation of God to say, no, there was a change of status that occurred. A legal change to where you who were a sinner were made without sin. You were her, who were, had no righteousness of your own have now been placed in a, in a position of having all righteousness, the very righteousness of Christ, it is in your account. It's covering you. You hear... Isaiah is saying, I'll greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul will be joyful in my God. For he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He's covered me with the robe of righteousness. Isaiah 61.10. I'm, I'm going I'm to greatly rejoice in him. My soul is, is going to be joyful in my God. It, it affects us. Understanding imputation of, of having Christ's righteousness placed upon us, it, it affects us. It makes it so that we greatly rejoice in him. It makes it so that our souls are joyful in our God. He's clothed me with garments of salvation. He's covered me with the robe of righteousness. A robe. A robe of righteousness that is no righteousness of your own. When, you, when we say that, that you have all righteousness, not, not one act of it is your own. It is all the righteousness of Christ that has been placed upon your account. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 3, But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed. Here it is. You're a sinner. There's none righteous, no, not one. And then it, there's this, but now verse and verse 21 of Romans 3, but now there's a change. There's a, a righteousness of God apart from the law that's revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. And then he says, even the righteousness of God. 
Even. It, it, it uses that word, even the righteousness of God, so that we would be at a place here this morning in times like this where we look at it and we say, okay, there's a righteousness that comes apart from the law and have it cause shock value to us that it's even the righteousness of God. It's not our righteousness, it's His righteousness. And then he goes on and says, through faith in Jesus Christ, to all and on all who believe. Justification by faith alone, to all and on all who believe. And so you can sit here this morning and say, oh man, I knew somebody was going to find about that, out about that someday. And then to, to be able to step back and say, I have a righteousness that's not my own. It's even the righteousness of God. And it comes by faith in Christ. And it comes to all and on all who believe. It's a robe of righteousness that's not your own. It was imputed unto you. Christ fulfilled all righteousness, places it upon your account. Justification is God's free grace to sinners. It pardons you of all of your sins. It's not based upon anything found that is good in you or done by you. But it comes only because of God's Son, Christ, and Christ's perfect obedience. We look in, it's a judicial act by the grace of God, whereby God's people, faith in Him, are absolved of all of your guilt and all of your sins. When we're justified, it refers to a change in our standing. We were condemned by the law, and now we're free from the law. The law has been fulfilled perfectly because Christ fulfilled the law perfectly. And he makes it so that our standing is in his fulfillment of the law. Therefore, we have a righteous standing with no condemnation. Condemnation is, is the sentence that's placed upon the sinner. And there's no condemnation that comes to the person who has been justified. Some passages that relate to this, but just turn back with me a few chapters to Romans chapter 4, verse 5. Romans 4, verse 5. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly. So him who does not work, who does not try to muster up his own righteousness, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. Just as David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. So you, you who were covered with sin and had no righteousness of your own, you have a righteousness that's imputed onto you. Your sin is not imputed onto you. Your sin is removed. And God just goes through and he just tells us, Blessed is the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. How does that change the way that we think? I mean, we look at this and we, we are so quick to, to get beat up and to get beaten down. We're so quick to put everything upon ourselves and then to be able to look and say, through faith in Christ, you have righteousness imputed onto you the very righteousness of Christ. 
If you look with me at, at Romans 5, verse 18. Romans 5, 18. Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. And I'll, I'll tell you, brothers and sisters, this, this matters to us. You, you have it where that there, there are so many people who would say they believe in the gospel, and yet they have strayed completely away from the doctrine of justification by faith alone. It is no gospel. It is no gospel to say that you can be saved, but here's the things that you need to do in order to to keep that. Or here's the things that you need to do. God did his part, but you got to try to do your part. And if you don't do your part, then maybe you go and you suffer in purgatory. Or here, maybe you you have to do something else. and, and, And maybe you'll go to a different level of heaven as Mormonism teaches or whatever it is. You look at it and and there's these doctrines that come in and it is no gospel at all because we're told here that through one man's offense, judgment came resulting in condemnation. But through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men resulting in justification of life, resulting in a change of status, no longer a sinner, but without sin, no longer having no righteousness, but having righteousness. It happened once and for all, and it was done. Total radical change in your status. To be justified is different than being regenerated. Being regenerated is to be made alive by the Holy Spirit, and it causes us who are dead spiritually to be made forever alive as new creations in Christ. But when you're justified, God the judge changes your standing. He gives you robes of righteousness which cover you with the very righteousness of Christ. This is a separate act, but it does always come. It's united with regeneration. It always comes with regeneration, but it is a separate act to where your legal status has changed. There's therefore now no condemnation for the believer. But it's more than that. We were condemned and guilty and worthy of eternal punishment. But now the one who has justified us has pronounced and declared us righteous. It would be morally wrong for us ever to be condemned or punished because our account says that we're not guilty and we're spotless. Our account further says that we've been made righteous as we fulfilled all the requirements of the law. This is, this is good news for us because you look at it and you think, well, what if he changes his mind? Or what if I do something that's so bad that I lose my salvation at that point? I'll tell you, it's not possible. There's a change of status that occurred to where you who were a sinner are without sin. You who had no righteousness now have the very righteousness of God to where to be condemned would be morally wrong at this point because there has been a radical change of status within you. Now granted, there are those that, that say, yeah, I believe the gospel. But there's no love for God. There's no change in their heart. They wander away and they leave the faith and God says they went out from us because they weren't of us. They went out to make manifest that they were never of us. There's those that he'll say, depart from me. And what he says is, depart from me. I never knew you. Even though they're saying, didn't we do all these things in your name? He's saying, I never knew you. But for us who hope in the gospel, 
For us who sit here this morning and just say, like, my hope, it's all in Christ. It's, it's that he died on the cross and he took my sins upon himself and he gave me his righteousness. There's, I've been justified. I, I've been changed. He took my sin and he gave me his righteousness in its stead. And that has occurred. And all my hope is in God sent his only son to die on the cross for my sins. And he did that and he rose again on the third day. And my only hope is in him. And whosoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. You see, in John 5, 24, where it says, Most assuredly, or verily, verily, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment or condemnation, but he's passed from death into life. Christ said, Most assuredly, I say to you, verily, verily, you can know this to be true no matter what, that he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life. He shall not come into judgment. He shall not come into condemnation because there has been a change of status for him. We are found in Christ having his righteousness. Our sins have been removed. We look at our text going back to Romans chapter 8 where it says here, So... So who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. This whole point is, who, who could ever bring a charge against us? God did this. God changed your status. If God, who is the highest of all, if God who does whatsoever he wills to do, God in whom every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, God in whom Satan has to ask permission before he could do anything, God in whom will destroy Satan for all eternity, cast him into the abyss, God who controls all things. If he justified us, who could ever bring a charge against you? The point is, is no one can. No one can. The whole point of this text is to bring us as God's people to a place of, I am so secure in him. When everything's coming against me, when my conscience just thrashes on me, in those times where the enemy accuses me, Who could bring a charge against me? There's no one. God has changed my status from being a sinner to being made righteous. And he did it freely. According to his grace, he did it. The text goes on and he says, Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? And it goes on and says, Who is he who condemns? Who could condemn? How could the sentence of the divine judge who has declared us to be without guilt, without sin, undeserving of any penalty or punishment because of the price has been paid in full, how could he ever reverse his verdict? Who is he who condemns? How can he who has declared us to be righteous, even with even the righteousness of Christ imputed on our account as if we fulfilled, as if we fulfilled all the righteousness, as, as if we were perfectly holy, as if we were clothed with robes of righteousness, our legal status having been fully changed. If the divine judge declares that we are without sin and fully righteous, who can condemn us? Can we? Can Satan? Can demons? Can our enemy? Can any other person? The highest judge in existence, God himself has declared us to be without sin, guilt, and completely righteous. So who can condemn us? Who can reverse the verdict? And the answer is nobody can. He goes on, he says, so not only, who is he who condemns? It's Christ who died. It's Christ who died. The death of Christ is the only way that we can be justified. 
I love the cross. I love this doctrine. Who could condemn me? Christ died. Christ died. The cross is the most magnificent demonstration of both the grace and the justice of God. The most perfect display of his mercy and righteousness. The justice and righteousness of God is more magnified and exalted by Christ on the cross than if he ever had sent us into the blackest darkness of eternity. Just picture with me. He's just and he's holy. He tells us that he will by no means clear the guilty. He will by no means clear the guilty. He cannot do that. He can't take, take sin and just sweep it under the rug and pretend like it didn't exist. There has to be there has to be the shedding of blood for the remission of sins because he said that. And so you look at this and you picture Christ on the cross. And you, 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 you picture them beating him, putting a bag over his face and just punching him over and over again. Prophesy, where is this hit coming from? You picture them whipping him with the cat of nine tails 39 times. You picture the crown of thorns put on his head, them pulling out his beard, them spitting on him, piercing him in his hands and in his feet leaving him there to die as he hangs on the cross saying, I thirst. And I'll tell you, with every blow, with every time that, that, that hammer came down upon that stake, as that rod came and hit the crown of thorns on his head, as they pulled out his beard, with every whipping that came upon his back, what that did was it screamed out as far as, our God is holy and he's just. He can by no means clear the guilty. If it was possible for him just to clear the guilty and pretend like it didn't happen, he would have done it. I mean, Christ saying, he's saying in the garden, if there's any way that this cup can pass from me, let it be so, but nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And then we see him go to the cross, and with every blow, we see that God can by no means clear the guilty. He can by no means make it so our sin doesn't exist. The only way that he could do it is by the shedding of blood for the remission of sins. And the only way that that could take place is if there's a perfect sacrifice. We look at it in Isaiah, where, or in Leviticus, where Aaron takes his hands and he takes both hands and he puts it on the, the head of the goat and confesses over it the iniquities of the children of Israel. And, and then he takes it and he takes the goat and sends it out into the wilderness. And he says that it bears their iniquities. And, and, and every year that they would do this, they would take a perfect lamb without spot and blemish and they would take it and they would kill it and they would sacrifice it. And all of this was pointing ahead to Christ because God tells us the blood and bulls and goats could never satisfy him. There, a thousand rivers of oil could not satisfy him. Thousands of rams could not satisfy him. The only way that our sin could forever be removed is if God himself became a man and came as the perfect lamb of God without spot or blemish and him take the full force of the wrath of God upon himself so that he can maintain his justice and he could not just sweep our guilt under the rug, but that there would be a payment that was paid for it. And that was through the very precious blood of Christ. That's why God talks about the very precious blood of Christ that was spilled for you and I. Our sins removed because of what he did. And it, it just it testifies to God's holiness and his justice and his grace and his mercy and his perfection in all things more than anything else could ever do. If we were to spend eternity in hell, 
and it showed us in blackest darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, that still would not come close to showing the justice of God than compared to when you look at the cross. The cross just magnifies his justice, saying that there had to be the shedding of blood for the remission of sins. And so we look at this, and when he says, who is he who condemns? It's Christ who died. It's Christ that died on the cross for us. It's Christ that hung there. Who could condemn us? The Son of God came down and became the least of all men and took all of our sin upon himself so that our sin would be removed and it would be replaced with his righteousness. So who could condemn us? The highest judge was satisfied, completely satisfied with the substitute, which is Christ. Isaiah 53, 6 says, The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Or Isaiah 53, 11 says, He shall bear their iniquities, and he's done that. We look at the rest of our text here, and it says, So who is he who condemns? It's Christ who died, and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, and who also makes intercession for us. Who could condemn us? Christ died, and furthermore, he rose again from the dead. And when he rose again from the dead, three days later, just as he had prophesied before, just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the heart of the the, the belly of the fish, so would Christ be three days and three nights in in the heart of the earth. He said, I will be killed, and on the third day I'll rise again. He said that that would happen, and it did happen, because what took place was he took the full force of God's wrath upon himself. God did that upon himself, so that three days later he would rise again from the dead, and that rising again from the dead would be evidence to all of us and to the 500 people that he appeared to at one time and to all the disciples that the price was paid and the Father was pleased and it was done and it was fulfilled and all the wrath that you and I could ever have deserved was finished on the cross. When he said, it is finished, it was finished, and now we are in a place of having newness of life because we're in Christ. There's a change that's taking place. So who could condemn us? He died and he rose again. Not only that, but he's even at the right hand of God. He's there in all of his glory at the right hand of God. And he makes intercession for us. He is the one that is there who makes intercession for us. When those come to accuse us or to charge us or to condemn us, Christ died. He rose again from the dead. He's at the right hand of the Father. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And he daily makes intercession for us. The day will come where you will go into eternity. And your only defense will be, he took my sins and he gave me his righteousness. He wants us to see this so that we could look and say, who could bring a charge against me? It's God that justified me. Who could condemn me? It's Christ that died Furthermore, is risen. It's even at the right hand of God. He's daily making intercession for us. If you came into this church thinking it all depended upon you, may the weight of the testimony of Romans 8, 33 and 34 radically change that for you. Whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life and he justifies you. There is a change of status that took place and it is radical. You are seen in Christ forever. A righteousness that is everlasting and will continue on forever and ever. And that's justification. It's praiseworthy.
Will you guys join me in prayer?